In 2020, the Real Boys sat down and talked about their new favorite TV show, The Chosen. After releasing an episode, the show's creator, Dallas Jenkins, said that he would be happy to be a guest on their show. This is that episode, because this is Godfellas! Welcome to another exciting episode of Godfellas, the small group that meets online. I'm Mr. Zach. I'm Mr. Mitch. And I'm Mr. Brandon. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, after we did our episode on The Chosen, we said that if you wanted to talk to us about it, reach out. And believe it or not, the creator of the show actually reached out to us. We were shocked. We were thrilled. It was like three o'clock in the morning and I started texting the guys. I was like, oh my gosh, he heard the episode. He heard the episode (laughs) and um, really have been so excited to uh, just in anticipation of him coming on the show. He's directed movies like What If and uh, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone and he is the creator of The Chosen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Mr. Talis Jenkins. Oh, the crowd goes wild. I can hear all the... Uh, once again, they do. I can hear the, I can hear the, I can hear the, uh, the cheering. I was watching online and uh, I was seeing from the video of you saying that you were in a tough spot to then, I think just a month later, I believe it was, that you were actually able to secure a set in Utah, and is that where you are currently? Yeah, I just got into Utah a couple nights ago. You're referring to, um, we have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page and all that where we do a lot of behind-the-scenes videos and really try to give you a peek behind the curtain at the whole story of the show. Of the show. The behind-the-scenes um, were very kind of raw and authentic about it. And I did a video a couple months ago where I just kind of was like, yeah, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if we're going to be able to shoot this year or not, but I'm trusting God to uh, to be faithful as he's been through this whole show. And, uh, and, and at that point, literally the day that video went out, it was like everything cleared up. No's became yeses. Uh, mm. The opportunity to get literally the most unbelievable set I've ever seen, which is here in Utah, mm. on a first century recreation of, of Jerusalem. And so- wow. Uh, yeah, I got into Utah just a couple nights ago. We're going to be filming in less than two and a half weeks or so, and uh, I get to I get to do it on this amazing set for at least the first six weeks of the season. That's amazing. Just hearing those details gets me really excited already yeah. for the next season. I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how um, this project got started? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned in the intro. Uh, that, you know, I'd done movies like What If and The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. And uh, sadly, not enough people saw The Resurrection of Gavin Stone. I know you mentioned to me earlier that you liked the movie. Um, I love it. I like the movie. I'm proud of it. But not enough people saw it. And uh, so when that movie failed at the box office, all of these future projects that had been set up with these big Hollywood producers who were involved in The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, they all pulled out. And so in just a couple hours of seeing box office numbers, I went from being a director with a bright future to being a director with no future, which is what made me more open-minded and open uh, in terms of my schedule 
to do a short film from my church's Christmas Eve service. And it felt like a step down from doing a Hollywood movie. But, uh, but you know, I was, I was in this position spiritually in my life where I was just content to do whatever God wanted me to do. And I didn't really mm. care about the size or the results or anything like that. Uh, I, I no longer worried about the success or failure. And so I just poured myself into this short film about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherd. And I filmed it on my friend's farm in Illinois. It was uh, just for my church's Christmas Eve service. That's all it was going to be. Very long story short, while I was making it, I had the idea for a a multi-season show about the life of Christ. Mm. Because one Mm. of the things that I love about shows that I binge watch with my wife or whether I'm on the treadmill or whatever, and, and the thing about a show is that you can go from season to season and you really fall in love with the characters. I mean, you can really dig in Mm. to the details and you're not rushed like most Jesus movies are. I mean, where they go from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, you don't get a chance to really know anyone. There's no real emotional connection to it. And I thought, man, that would be really cool. Like it's never been done before. And Mm. um, so the the idea started to percolate, but of course I didn't really have an outlet for it. I didn't think it was, I didn't know if it was ever going to happen. I just thought it was a good idea. But this company saw my short film heard my idea, got really excited about it, and uh, said that they wanted to raise the money through crowdfunding, which I thought was a ridiculous idea. It would never work. <laughs> and uh, all you see when people are trying to do crowdfunding online is you usually see this progress bar that never actually reaches the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's usually for really short, you know, small projects. Um, and uh, we were a pretty big project and we needed, you know, at the very least several million dollars to do a good mm. season of, of television. And the all-time record was 5.7 million by a couple of projects that had really big fan bases like Veronica Mars and Mystery Science Theater 3000. And, uh, and so then when we ended up shattering the all-time crowdfunding record and raising over $10 million from over 19,000 people based on this short film I did on my friend's farm, uh, we knew something, God was doing something special that was much bigger mm-hmm. than we were. And uh, that has proven itself over and over again now that season one is out. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the genesis of the project. In many ways, you could say it was birthed from failure. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, I heard about you specifically for the first time on Say Goodnight Kevin's podcast. And I remember you were talking about that um, it was crowdfunding and all of that that got you uh, to this point. And I thought that was so crazy. And then when I heard that it was, you know, $10 million, I was thinking, well, you know, it doesn't seem like they're settling for less, that they want to make the best show possible. So it's just so crazy to hear um, that that's all from crowdfunding and people believing uh, in your project. That's really amazing. Well, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, the, the short film made a big difference, obviously. I mean, it was what, and everyone who crowdfunded it watched the short mm-hmm. film. And I think they were, I think there was something about it. And this has been proven over and over again with the show. We keep hearing the word anointed. Like people keep saying, mm. this show feels anointed. And I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that because I don't want to claim any kind of spiritual authority that I don't have. But right. enough people keep saying that. And I think, it only is, I think it's the only explanation for why people are so motivated to, to give or to invest um, at, like they have been. I mean, there's something about the show that I haven't seen in a long time. In fact, the last time that I remember seeing something like this was Left Behind, which was my dad's book series. And I remember when I, I had a front row seat on Left Behind, and I remember when people were reading those books and they were so passionate about spreading the word. Like they would read the books and then just be like, you have to read these. They, 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 they weren't just giving recommendations. They were like force feeding right. to read it. 
And I don't remember which one of you I, I, I was listening to on the podcast, but I feel like one of you was saying that the other one was like, you need to, you need to watch the show. Like there's just yeah. a passion behind it. And I, the only reason I feel comfortable saying that is, is, is because it does prove that the show is bigger than I am. I'm not this good. Um, there's no mm. amount of success the show could have that would make me believe I'm responsible for it. And so when I see the show, when I watch the show myself, I'm like, man, this is, this is really moving. Like, like, I, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, and I feel like that's, I, I feel like God has something to say and yeah. I'm for whatever reason, he's chosen me to kind of be the, the, the vessel through which to say it. And I think the best mm. thing that I can do is just continue to listen um, and provide my five loaves and two fish and then watch it. Mm-hmm. Thousand of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny because there is this, almost like frantic energy I felt after I watched it. I wanted everyone in my life to experience it um, in a way that's different from other TV. Like there's a lot of shows that I, you know, I revisit all the time, you know, uh, Brandon uh, got me into the West wing. I love that show. Uh, but it, it doesn't inspire the same. I think it's because it, it this show hits you on such a spiritual level and it um, speaks to that part of my life in a way that, you know, that other content doesn't it really just inspires you to get out and to, to get other people to experience what you've seen. Um, and it, I, I just hope we get more art and more content like that uh, because it felt like there was something that had not been reached before with a lot of different uh, television that was being reached by this. So I don't know. It, it It's a cool experience for me. Yeah. And I think that, mo- that what you're saying actually is part of what motivated me to do the show is mm. The, the lack of stuff like it. I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I've been, uh, you know, a, a, a consumer of media and pop culture for many years. And in fact, you, interesting, you brought up the West Wing, which is a show that I love too, which actually inspired some of the chosen because the West Wing is actually similar in its approach where the president is the, is, is the circle around, you know, the circle of people are around the president, but he's not mm-hmm. the only main character. And like mm-hmm. the chosen doesn't mm-hmm. show up until the end of episode one. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it really is an ensemble piece. But all that to say, I've always like, man, I love all these great shows, Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul and, and The Wire and Downton Abbey and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, we have the greatest story ever told and mm-hmm. so <laughs> many rich stories to, to, to explore here. Um, yeah. Let's do it. And, and I think the approach that we've taken to the show has been inspired by some of the great shows of the past, not necessarily mm-hmm. inspired by the desire to do a faith-based project. Um, right. And I think the fact that it's faith-based, of course, because it's about Jesus, the fact that it's um, inspired by, by scripture and that I'm a believer is a big part of it. But the style, the approach, the storytelling, the way we write, the way that we film it, the music, all of that mm. is, coming, is coming from a, like, we're, we want to do something we haven't seen before. Mm. And I think that is what is causing people in some ways to say that very thing. I haven't seen anything like this. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to love the show. Um, and it doesn't mean we're the greatest show ever or anything like that. It just, we do feel confident that it's something you haven't seen. Mm, yeah. Well, I, rem- I remember when I, when I told these two guys that, you know, the next show that I wanted to do is, is The Chosen. And it can't be overstated how much, like, I have a soft spot in my heart for biblical epics, like the 1950s, like the Ben-Hurs and the King of Kings and all that stuff. I, I love all that stuff. So with these guys, you know, some of these movies, some of these Christian movies can be a little tough to sit through at times. So when I told them that they were going to be watching eight episodes of a TV show, 
they they were both like a little bit hesitant and then i just remember like it was around episode three that they were just like kind of calling me back and like man like this is really good and i remember like especially um you know mitch when i when i told him i was like you're gonna be watching this show it it's really really good i know that i'm really like into this stuff and this is my jam i really like this show and i think it's good mitch was kind of like i'll be the judge of that and then he was just like no it's it's really good well yeah Yeah, and when you think think bible show uh, Mm. i I happen to not be a huge fan of some of those bible epics from the 50s i mean i understand Mm, why they have the appeal that they do but it's just not my it's not my style i'm much more uh I think my approach to, to most of my storytelling has always been more human, more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. epics have never been my, my thing. Um, mm. And I think that's, but, but, but I think that the, those exist for a purpose and they're great, but I think, yeah. I think the show is in some ways a, a response to those epics. Mm. They we're going to, we're going to find the, the sinew. We're going to find the, the, the material in between these big moments. And maybe those big moments will be more emotional if we focus on the intimate and the personal, then on the, the, the scale of, of mm-hmm. so many stories. And in fact, most of the miracles that we've chosen to portray and that we will choose to portray are more rooted in the personal and mm-hmm. than they are in the epic. And uh, that's been intentional. I think it's been a, we're, we're going to, we're going to go small. We're going to, we're going to dig in deep to the, to the, to the people, to the human, to the humanity of these people, including the humanity of Jesus. And uh, so it's not epic. Uh, it doesn't feel like a big, big show. But I think um, that's part of what is, people are responding to. Yeah. yeah, it's like most of the content we've gotten has been at 30,000 feet. And we're now just zooming, zooming, zooming down in. And when you watch someone in an instant have their life completely be miraculously changed by Jesus touching them, right? It's, it's as much those miracle scenes for me, or it's as much the reactions of the people as what Jesus has done. Oh, I love that you say that because um, that any, any miracle that you've seen in season one, and this will continue to be the case in future seasons, um, we spend as much time filming the reactions of the people watching because it's mm-hmm. not always about the recipient of the miracle. Um, mm-hmm. So you think just real quick, just using episode six as an example, where Jesus, so in episode five, he changes the water to wine. And he mm-hmm. does it for a, a couple that we barely even know. It's really about mm-hmm. his mother and about the, the bridegroom, um, uh, the, their, her, her parents, um, and kind of the reaction of the people to what's happening and, and to Thomas and Rama and like how mm-hmm. it impacts them and how it impacts the disciples. Well, then you lead to, to episode six where a, um, a leper comes to Jesus for healing because he's heard about what happened at the wedding. And... Mm-hmm. Yes, the leper is healed, and it's and it's a, it's a it's a touching scene. But now you see someone else who's watching, and they want to go tell someone. They they want to get their friend healed, and the disciples who are watching are totally shaken. And then we get to this healing of the paralytic, and the paralytic who comes through the roof. We get to know him a little bit, but it's much more about his friends, and it's much more about mm-hmm. Nicodemus who's watching, and Ma- Matthew who's watching, and having his world rocked. Mm-hmm. And the, the the reactions to the miracle are are as important, if not more important, than the miracle itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So why why is it why is telling this story in this way so important to you? Well, because I think we have the time to give it its due attention. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I my whole life I've heard the stories of the gospels, and I've always been interested in 
the, the context. And you don't always get context in, in Bible projects. And I think part mm-hmm. of it is our Protestant um, obsession with, with words. You know, um, ca- Catholics and other denominations tend to be a little more comfortable with imagery and, and uh, kind of capturing beauty in, in an artistic way. And Protestants mm-hmm. are like, no, no, that's idolatry. We're going to just stick to the words. And, and you <laughs> yeah, never, show me you, the text. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to go outside of scripture. And, uh, and I think we've missed out on a lot of great context and, and mm-hmm. yes, artistic imagination, which for Protestants tends to be a scary word or scary phrase, but um, <laughs> it's really important to me because just to give you a quick example, I was talking to a celebrity last night who, uh, who loves the show and her husband who uh, she's a very, very strong believer. And her husband is not, he, they, even though they've been married for, for years. And she said to me um, that, that when her husband finally watched the first few episodes, he said, when I read the Bible, it feels like Japanese. Like I don't mm-hmm. really capture it. He goes, but this show makes it feel, I, I feel like I can connect more. Now, yeah. what, if that was the end game, that wouldn't be enough. I don't want the show to replace scripture. But what I've found is that over and over and over again, like literally tens of thousands of people have told us repeatedly that the show has drawn them back to scripture and then has made scripture come more alive. And I feel like something the show can do is what I, this has been the calling of my life. In fact, when I first started to do films, um, I almost had this as a logo. I almost called my film production company Ananias Films, but it ultimately we thought, oh, people aren't going to know how to pronounce it. going to be awkward. <laughs> but Ananias, when he went to Saul, who had had this road to Damascus experience and been blinded, removed the scales from Saul's eyes. And he was now able to see. And I feel like that's my call in, is to remove the scales of eyes, including my own, so that we can see Jesus more clearly. And that's the calling of my life. And that's, that's the whole point of the chosen. Mm-hmm. I think one thing also that this series has um, been able to do is bridge the gap between like the celebrity's husband, and then like my four-year-old who found it mm. very powerful. Also, um, I think about the you know episode three, and just kind of knowing how taxing a toddler can be, and seeing Jesus take time with these kids was very powerful for me. Powerful for me and my toddler as well. She really connected with that. I know I can't figure it out. That that that, and this is another evidence of that this show is way better and bigger than I am. Is for whatever reason, like we've heard from multiple people like yourself is that my four-year-old loved Yeah, We've heard from parents of special needs (laughs) children or people who were like severely handicapped who want to watch the show all the time. People in other cultures, it's in every country in the world has been translated now in over 60 languages. But we're hearing from people who, there was this one woman in China when COVID hit, she watched the show with her family. She says, I'm the only one who speaks English. And at the time the show hadn't been translated yet. And she said, they still wanted to watch every episode because there's something about it that broke through cultural barriers, um, uh, age barriers, gender barriers, everything for some reason. And I think, I think, I think when you focus on the stories of Jesus, um, something magical happens. And that's, I know that's a dirty word, but there's something that really <laughs> supernatural happens when you're just literally focused on the stories of Jesus. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm wrecked every time I hear about little kids. I mean, I, I just never thought that would happen. The show, and you guys have watched it, I'm sure even in episode one, it takes time to get, you know, it takes time to kind of absorb the world. Um, sure. get, you know, it's a complicated plot line. It's, it's, it's an adult show. Mm-hmm. And yet yeah. somehow young people are loving it. And I, I, I don't have an explanation for that. 
Yeah, I remember the when I first started watching the show, the first episode where it's just like Mary wakes up and then like there's that guy running around who's covered in blood. I was like, what am I watching right now? <laughs> like, what a way to start a show. Well, and that was, scripture. And, and then it goes, and then you go into the opening credits and the music and the, uh, the, the design. And I heard one of you guys was kind of complaining about the music. You thought it sounded like a CCM uh, top 40. And I'm, I'm going to, that's my one, I, I, I love criticism of the show, but I was going to push back a little bit because I don't think that's the kind of song you're going to hear on Christian radio because it feels, I, I personally thought it, we intended it as kind of a slave spiritual rootsy Southern mm. gospel kind of like, mm. like really, it was kind of a call to action, you know, and even the words, mm. the lyrics where it's like, um, walk on the water. I got no trouble with the yeah. best you've been, you know, join us. And it was, I think the whole opening 10 minutes from the, the first five minutes of the scene to the opening credits are basically like, this is not your grandfather's Jesus show for better mm-hmm. or worse. Some mm-hmm. people don't like it and that's fine. And I don't, I, I, I was just joking around, but uh, for a lot of people, they were like, <laughs> they were kind of jolted by it and were like, this is not, this doesn't fit the show. This seems mm. weird. I, I'm not used to this. Um, it turns me off. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's, this is, a, this is a different kind of show and, and, and it's gonna, it might even confuse you at first because you're kind of trying to figure out where's Jesus and, and where, which, which Bible verse is this from? And, uh, it takes a little time to get into that. We want you to, we want you to get to know the people first. That is yeah, the interesting I, thing about there's just such a wide viewership. So Brandon and I watched it and we had that a totally opposite experience where Brandon's like, this is so different. And I was like, oh, this feels like a Mandisa song to me in a way. So it's just interesting how yeah. diff- different viewers can have such buck wild different reactions. And Mandisa yeah. is a super fan of the show. So maybe you're, maybe and you're, she's awesome. I love Mandisa. She's awesome. Maybe you're on to, maybe you're onto something. Maybe there's. And you know, I think, I think it is exactly what you were saying. Cause it did like the first episode jolted me. And then I think the song jolted me. So I think finally yeah. I've just gotten, I've just gotten used to it now. We're like, I listen to it in my car sometimes that and, and trouble that song, that song slaps. I, I love the, the score. And yeah, that song especially. was written and, and recorded and laid into the show in, in about three and a half hours. Um, wow. Because wow. it was the night before we were doing, we were finalizing all the audio and we still hadn't gotten the rights to a song that we were looking for. And finally, I, the com- our composers are Dan Hasseltine from Jars of Clay and Matt Nelson. Yeah. And Dan Hasseltine's mm. a, a, a friggin' genius. And um, so I just said, you, you, you need to write something. We just need to, we just need to record it. So we went to the studio right down the road and, um, and uh, yeah, I, I love it. And, and I remember again, just the way that the, the, the season ends um, it's just, I was so proud of it and so excited about it. Cause I'm like, Jesus is a bit of a, a you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be delicate. I won't use the term I'm thinking of, but <laughs> he's bad, you know, he's cool. And I think the, 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 the lyrics of the song that trouble's coming, um, Trouble's mm-hmm. coming to Jesus, yes, because now the ministry's public, but trouble's yeah. coming to other people too. And I just thought it was a cool way to, mm-hmm. to end the show. Yeah. I got to tell you, I loved that you went for it at the end where <laughs> like the drums kicked in and then they're walking in in slow motion. I was just like, he is going for it here, yeah. but I love it so <laughs> much. <laughs> I remember early on, I heard, so, uh, from, I heard from this woman who was like, I love the show and I was watching it with my parents and they love the show. And then that music at the end was so irreverent and it totally took them out of it. And I just think it's going to be a problem. And I'm like, 
yeah, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I'm sorry, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the, the music, the music staying, you know, and I, yeah. I love all feedback, even negative feedback, but, but I was, uh, when the moment, the moment we saw that song laid in with the editing and everything, we were like, this rocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when I see, um, you know, great shots like that in the show and, uh, I was actually just rewatching a uh, Gavin Stone before we hopped on here. I see a lot of style in your in your filmmaking, so I'm personally really curious as to who are some of your influences. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Gavin Stone because I actually I actually wish that Gavin Stone had much more style. I think I think it that's actually mm. the weakness of the movie is that visually it's mm. it's a little flat, and I think uh, the Chosen is is much more rich and has more texture to it. But I'm I'm glad you. I mean, I, I love Gavin Stone. I do like the movie, but I do think that visually. Um, I was, I was, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't do as much as I, as I wanted to. And I, and, and I think the chosen is in the, the opportunity. My biggest influences, um, which, which are kind of varied, um, my desire to tell stories that are dark and painful before they become hopeful and beautiful, um, has really been influenced a lot by Frank Capra, um, mm-hmm. who, who, you know, It's a Wonderful Life is the greatest film of all time, in my opinion. Um, and, and his, his kind of disciple was Rob Reiner, who mm-hmm. is another guy mm-hmm. that I was a huge, huge, uh, fan of, because if you think of the, the variety of Rob Reiner's career, so, I mean, the same guy who did Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride also did Misery, A Few Good Men, and When Harry Met Sally. I mean, <laughs> the, the, those, yeah. those five movies right there, um, you know, you could debate each one individually, but I mean, that is a, that is a, an amazing, <laughs> like that, that is that is some that is some huge, yeah. um, right Absolutely. there. Um, Steven Soderbergh. When I first saw Traffic, mm. and Aaron Brockovich, all both those movies came within one year. You know, within within one year, that changed. I mean, that I, that those two movies came back to back, and um, that I think was the beginning of my desire. Like the handheld cameras, the mm-hmm. intimacy, the 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 nuance, the rawness. Um, I think that was when I was really changed. Um, and, you know, th- this is probably not something that's typically talked on a, on a Christian podcast, but Pulp Fiction, when I saw that in college, I mean, my jaw dropped and I thought nothing will ever be the same because all mm-hmm. the rules have been rewritten. So, um, and uh, I think finally, um, the movie Magnolia and, and the filmmaker Paul Thomas Anderson, um, when I saw Magnolia, it was just like, I, I remember thinking at first it was really pretentious. And then, <laughs> then two weeks later, when I couldn't stop thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I need to see this again. And uh, so, um, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of thing that makes me different from guys like Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino and, and even Steven Soderbergh is, I think they're much more cynical than I am. So mm. I think that I have a, you know, the, the Frank Capra, Cameron Crowe, I mean, Jerry Maguire is a huge influence on me, but Cameron Crowe, Rob Reiner, Frank Capra mixed with some of the darkness and, and, and kind of immediate style of, of these other guys, um, mm. kind of where the chosen was, was birthed, which sounds mm. weird, but I think it's accurate. <laughs> I know. I totally get that. It's, it's funny that you brought up a uh, Tarantino on, on our other show. We were just talking about, um, uh, inglorious bastards. And I remember watching your interview with, uh, Brandon Potter and you were saying that, uh, uh, Hans Landa inspired his character, and I was like, "Oh, now now I see it." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that kind <laughs> of. Uh, I mean, Hans Landa and, and and Christopher Christoph Watts. I think that performance is one of the top twenty five performances Absolutely. in cinematic history, 
And mm-hmm. the notion of a, of, of a villain, of a murderous, racist villain, but who's actually comes at it from a playful, intrigued, you know, to him, this is, this is actually in, more interesting than it is evil, uh, I thought was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and I think with all the characters in The Chosen, we don't want to make them cartoon characters. We want to make them uh, have layers. Now, I noticed when I mentioned Magnolia, I mean, people who are listening can't see you, but I saw both two of you raising your hand. <laughs> I, I just crack up because if you only knew that we bring up Magnolia like once a week on this show, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson um, and that that soundtrack, Wise Up, Amy Mann. Wow. I mean, don't get me started. It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's I love the pretentious movies that you're talking about. Those are my jams. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. But he wasn't he he. Unlike some of his other movies, because some of his other movies are so dark and, 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 and mm. so don't end up kind of making a turn at any point. I just kind of like, ah, uh, they, they don't reach me emotionally. But Magnolia, I mean, the, the, the voiceover and the, mm-hmm. um, oh, my goodness. I mean, he just, I loved that he, and he says this about that movie. I mean, he said it when he was writing about it. But he just said, I, I just went for it and I wasn't ashamed. And I just, mm. I like, I, I, I said what I wanted to say. And that, fear, mm-hmm. that fearlessness is not something that I've always had. And um, I mean, I remember I did a movie called Midnight Clear back in the 2006. It was the first feature film I ever directed. And it was me trying to find my style and trying to find my voice. And yeah. I, I chickened out at a few stylistic decisions that I wanted to make. And so it's like almost a really good movie. But it's, <laughs> you know, and it was inspired by guys like Paul Thomas Anderson, but it's just not quite there yet. In fact, I'd be curious. You guys should watch it sometime and see what you think. because. I think you'd agree with me. It's like, oh, there's, there's inklings of, of stuff here, but it's not quite mm-hmm. there yet. But, um, but after that, and I was like, because I almost did that entire movie with no score. Um, and, and, oh, wow. and I chickened out and I shouldn't have. Um, and th- it's those kinds of decisions that Paul Thomas Anderson makes that gave, I think made me feel free, especially with this project is crowdfunded where I'm the one who has the final say, I'm not a big mm-hmm. studio to like go for an opening credit sequence that's just kind of balls to the wall and go for some of these um, artistic choices that, you know, you might not normally put into a Jesus project, but it's like, you know what, you know, there's a line that Jesus says in episode seven um, to Simon Peter, when he's uh, frustrated that Jesus is calling Matthew a tax collector and Jesus says, get used to different. And I think that's been the story of my life these past three years since God changed my life after my failure and it's been the story of this show. Get used to different. We're just going to, we're not going to be ashamed. We're not going to hold back because I genuinely don't care anymore what others think of me, um, which I think always held me back in the past. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I got excited when you said Paul Thomas Anderson, because There Will Be Blood is like my second favorite movie, probably. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's like what you were saying. That's like the cynical, dark, there's no redemption for anyone in this movie. Like, the pastor guy is the villain of the story. And so like it is, I do kind of see that with the the Pharisees even is that like they're fleshed out. Like you understand their motives. Like even though those are kind of like, can be like dark moments where those characters feel very cynical and like, you know, you, we know the story, so we know where, where that's going to go, but it's still interesting to watch. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of these, even something I love, like Jesus of Nazareth, you know, from the 70s, when you watch that, the stuff with the Pharisees is like the least interesting stuff, but it's still compelling in, in your show, which is great. Yeah, well, it's just a matter of, of recognizing that that no villain is actually a villain in their minds. I mean, they're, they yeah. nationally believe what they're doing, and it's too easy to just say, the Pharisees were greedy and selfish, and they wanted to kill Jesus because they hate 
you know, uh, anyone who takes stuff. From them. And it's just not that simple. And Pharisees in, yeah. in, in, in reality, and, um, and we've gotten actually criticism for, for saying this, uh, but Pharisees in reality were actually the, the, the respected leaders of their time and loved the Bible and loved God. And in fact, there, there are, there's good historical evidence that Jesus himself was a Pharisee. Because Pharisee, mm. we think of Pharisee equals bad guy, but Pharisee was just referring to a school of thought that was no. approached to scripture. And Jesus was trying to get the Pharisees to get out of what their beliefs had done to them. But he specifically said, listen to what they say, just don't do what they do. And yeah. um, so uh, There Will Be Blood is a, is a, is a beautiful film. And, and, and one of the reasons why I, I love it, even though it's dark, is because it's in many ways a cautionary tale. It was a film mm. that he did after that. I'm blanking on the name of it. You guys. The Master? The Master that I didn't resonate mm -hmm. with because I just didn't think that it didn't, I didn't think it had, I don't know, I don't think it found its voice. And, and as Peter mm. Griffin, as Peter Griffin so brilliantly said <laughs> in uh, Family Guy, it, it, it insisted upon it. And, yeah. <laughs> and so. I was, wait, I was yeah. waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like the Master insisted upon itself. Um, mm. And uh, I'm trying not to do that too much with The Chosen. Which I, I definitely appreciate that. And uh, it's, you know, it's so interesting whenever I'm on the page and I see like someone say something negative, I'm just like, are you, are you nuts? <laughs> um, but I mean, like you were saying, it's overwhelmingly, you know, been, been pretty positive. So um, I'm curious about, um, you know, what's the response been like and how is, how does that affect you in the writer's room? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I'll say this. When I sit in front of a blank computer screen, and when my co-writers, Tyler and Ryan, who are brilliant, um, who, who are large, largely out of the social media stuff, they're just focused on the writing. Um, I'm the one who's kind of out there taking the slings and arrows or, or the praise um, for them. And the blank page doesn't give a rip about whether people mm. love the show or not. Um, you still have a season, you still have season two that, that needs to be great. And season three needs to be great. And God changed my life in 2017 when he told me very explicitly, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. So when I'm writing and when I'm making the show, and it, honestly, when I'm living my life, um, I genuinely, and I, I hope this comes out right, I genuinely couldn't care less about when someone comments on social media and says, I didn't like when you did that. Please don't do that again. I kind of go, oh, that's <laughs> cute. That you think that your comment is going to influence my right. decision. <laughs> now, um, I genuinely don't care. And now that can sound harsh and dismissive. And some people say that. I'll just be like, thanks for your comment. You know, uh, no, we're good. And they'll be like, oh, you, don't, you just dismiss me. You just don't like criticism. And I'm like, I don't care about criticism. That's the point. And, and the implication is that I didn't think all these things through before I made the decision. So the fact right. that you're saying now, like, I'll convince Dallas as though he hadn't thought of the decision to put this scene first or that scene second is just silly. But here's the, here's the counterpoint to that. I also don't, am not moved by the praise. Um, mm -hmm. So the show has grown significantly in the last six months and people have, you know, I mean, and many people have said things about me and to me that are almost, that, that are almost worshipful, you know, I mean, like, like, mm -hmm. like how much the show has changed their life. And I'm moved every time I hear a story of impact, but I mean this genuinely. And my wife feels the same way and constantly keeps me accountable on it. But we genuinely don't care about the praise or the criticism. It's a, and it really is a superpower. It keeps mm. you from, from making decisions based on what you think people are going to respond when they watch it. Now, as any good artist, you want to 
have the audience in mind because you want things to make sense and you want things to land. Right. And you hope that the, that the story you're telling is paced properly and all that. But when it comes to the praise, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't believe or take heart when people say I'm, you know, made the show that changed their life. And I don't take it to heart when people say you're a heretic and, um, you know, how dare you? Um, I really am just focused on the five loaves and two fish that I'm providing to God. And if he deems them worthy of acceptance, then that's where the transaction ends for me. So I really feel, I'm hoping that anyone listening understands, I don't mean to sound arrogant, that I don't, when I say all that, um, it really is, it comes from a place of humility saying, I have to be in this posture where I'm not making decisions based on what the Bible calls a fear of man. Um, mm. I really, I, I used to, I was, I was a narcissist for, for, for 20 years. And, um, and, it, and it caused um, selfishness, it caused arrogance, it caused a desire, a fear of man. It, 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 I think it was the root of a struggle with pornography. I think all of those things um, were, were, were symptoms of narcissism. And when I really focused on changing that and God ripped that out of me, um, mm. I think it's what made me a better filmmaker and it made me okay with making a show where I don't focus on how people are going to respond. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting to, to think about that because, you know, I think when we asked the question, all three of us were kind of thinking when everyone likes your show, there's got to be a sense of, oh, well, it's on now. But I think, you know, also you, you got all your, you know, all the funding for the show from the audience anyway. So I think to some extent, if they didn't, if they didn't like it, you, you know, season one wouldn't have even happened. Well, that's, that's, well, that's a crazy thing. Well, I, I th season two wouldn't have happened. That's for sure. Um, season one happened because of people loving a short film I did on my friend's farm. And, and I remember yeah. when we first did the screening for the investors, the 19,000 people who'd, who'd given their loaves and fish to this project. And it's funny, I didn't, I didn't think about it until later. And, and I realized if I would have thought about it early, I might have gotten scared. But I'm like, oh my goodness, these people are seeing this show for the first time. All they've seen is 18 minutes of a short film that I did for no money. <laughs> And oh my goodness, what if they don't like it? Like, and, and, and I didn't even think of that. Like it was, I was so focused on just making a great show and, right. and making a show that honored God and honored scripture and, and, and was watchable and, and, and a show that we were really proud of and that I thought God would, would be proud of. Um, that I forgot that like, oh gosh, when I push play and these people are going to watch this show, they, yeah. they really need to like it. Like, <laughs> and, and, and the fact that the response is what it is, is beautiful, yeah. but I genuinely didn't think about that when I was writing it. And uh, so, you know, shame on me if I, if I start, if I change course now, you know, yeah. that would be quite a spiritual fail. Yeah, I, I remember listening on another podcast, uh, it's another one called Bad Christian, where they were saying, you never wish that, you know, the people who are creatives were more careful. You know, like you never wish Vince Gilligan making Breaking Bad. You, you don't go, oh, I wish he'd been more careful. So, I mean, I'm really loving what you're what you're putting down there. Mitch, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, it's it's just interesting because one of the things I appreciated that you'd said earlier was, um, you know, the approach to making the show was I'm 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 trying to make a show that's um, well made and it's you know it's it's not I'm. I'm just creating something that's faith-based and uh, I'm also trying to bring a quality to that um, and to bring, you know, the best thing I can make. Uh, but I'm also hearing too, like there is this, there has to be this focus on, um, on the prize uh, and on uh, making something for the Lord as well. It's just an interesting thing because when I hear you talk, I think of Zach and I are worship leaders 
And we have the same perspective of, um, you know, when we're putting together a worship set, you have to, you're, you're just listening to the Holy Spirit's uh, prompting, right? It's not necessarily about, uh, everyone's going to have an opinion on the music you choose on a Sunday morning. So it's it's interesting to me to think of this balance you have to do almost of uh, how to follow the Spirit's prompting and to keep your eyes on the prize on giving uh, you know, the Lord, the best thing you can make while also bringing this intentionality to the craft of it as well. Um, it's, it's just a, it's an interesting balance. No, that's a really, really well said. And it's a great point. And, and it's when, when I tell my story of how God, you know, spoke to me in my failure and said, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. I, it's important to not leave out that important part, which is no, no, you do, are, you are providing the loaves and fish. Jesus could yeah. have waved his hand. And all of the loaves and fish could have appeared in everyone's lap. Right? Yeah. But he still had the disciples go find the food. The, the, the boy who brought the food, someone had to make good loaves and good fish. And then when he, dis- when he, when he multiplied it, he still had the disciples distribute it. You still do your part. It is a balance. Um, and I don't believe that God necessarily, um, I don't want to use the word rewards, but I think he does work in tandem with those who are providing their loaves and fish and bringing it. But there is, there is a Holy Spirit prompting that happens. And, um, and I feel like every time that I've started to veer outside of that, um, I mean, God lets me go and, and I write and I use my skills and my co-writers use their skills and we make decisions every day like we normally would. But for whatever reason, with this project, more than any project I've ever been on, when I started to veer outside of what God wants to say, um, mm. whether I knew it or not going in, I, I'm nudged back in every time, right. um, every, right. every time. Um, mm. and that's, that's a really comforting place to be because God told me, um, at the time I didn't know it was God's voice. I just thought it was, I, I didn't know, but I was in Israel in Magdala, the birthplace of Mary Magdalene. And I felt God lay it very strongly on my heart. Um, this was, this was over two and a half years ago before I'd made the chosen. Um, I mean, I was, we were researching for the chosen, but, um, just felt this strong impression and God just saying, um, in a few years, this is how people are going to view my people, meaning when they think of the disciples, when they think of Jesus, when mm. they think of Simon and Mary Magdalene, they're going to picture this, what, what you do with this show. And I'm not going to mm. let you screw it up. And <laughs> um, on one hand, wow. that's a great weight, but it's also yeah. tremendous relief. And I felt that. I felt that over and over that God is not letting me screw it up. That's not the mean, it may not still happen, but so far, uh, he hasn't been letting me screw it up. Right. So, so in that same vein um, of how you're saying when people think about this show, this show in the Bible, this is how they're going to think about it. Um, the the characters in this show, I mean, it it's really amazing. And seeing some of your other work, I I get the sense that you really love characters and you love character driven stories. So, um, how did you find these characters? Yeah, I, I love characters, even at the expense of plot. It's why uh, episode <laughs> episode three is the episode I wrote by myself because there's there's really no really? plot. It's just uh, I know uh, I just said I want to I want to I want to show Jesus by himself. I want to show his relationship people with children, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't have to worry about plot. That's uh, Ryan Ryan Swanson. His he's the genius when it comes to plot. Um, That's the pulp fiction of the chosen. There's no plot. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, so. Um, you know, when, when we chose which um, characters to focus on from the Gospels, uh, you know, finding those people who, who we believed would have the most interesting story. So you've got Nicodemus, who's, a, uh, you know, got almost like a double agent. He's a, 
religious leader. He's got his foot in that world um, uh, where they hated Jesus, but but he also believed Jesus was the son of God. You got Matthew, the tax collector, who just dropped everything to follow Jesus um, mm. and, and why Jesus would call a tax collector. Both those things are interesting. Mary Magdalene, of mm. course, we know that she was a hero of the faith, but when Jesus encountered her, she was possessed by seven demons. So that's certainly mm. interesting. Uh, so that's how we chose some of these people is who, who's going to really have a storyline that we can pursue for multiple seasons. The actors, my goodness, I think it was just miraculous in many ways. I didn't want it, mm. I didn't want celebrities. Um, a, we couldn't afford them. Uh, but B, Bob, <laughs> I think they could sometimes distract from uh, yeah. putting you into that first century. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted the best people for the part regardless. And I, you know, you narrow your focus when you're like, all right, we need ethnic people. We don't want a bunch of, bunch of white dudes. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, I mean, some of these people are unknowns. I mean, they, they came, you know, th- this project is one of the first ones they've done. And it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the actress who plays Mary Magdalene, we cast her like two weeks before we were filming and she came out of Texas. And wow. we're, you know, just, she hadn't done much at all. And she's just, she's, she's genius. I mean, she's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. So, um, we just kept kept fighting, kept working until we found the right person for each role, and uh, and I think that you know now I'm I mean I just earlier today and I've got I've got to go in just two minutes because uh, I've got another yeah. another meeting I have to get to. But um, right before your call, I had a casting session all day with, with for for season two, and it's so fun to, to find people that you you know you've never seen before and and and, and them. I mean I just cast a very very important role with a guy who's rarely I mean I don't even think he has any credits on IMDb yet. I can't give away who wow. the I can't give away who the important. <laughs> I know we're all sorry. licking our chops. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, yeah, okay. I can't uh, for season two. Uh, but, um, but yeah, the actors th- that we've been able to find have been just brilliant, and it's been a joy to work with them. Mm. Nice, that's incredible. Well, uh, I know that you you just said you have to go, but uh, again. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, talk to us. Um, really, just great work and. And we really love what you're doing. We're all very excited for uh, season two. Yeah, I think Zach speaks for all of us when we just the tremendous impact the show has had on our lives, personally, spiritually, um, also artistically. And we're we're very grateful for the work you're doing. We're excited to see what's coming up uh, as well, and we'll be praying for season two. We're really really excited for it. So. Thank yeah, you. I think one, one thing I said during our original recording was this this show really did elicit an emotional response for me the way mm-hmm. no other biblical, you know, um, centered piece of media has. And um, I'm I'm very grateful for for this this piece of art. Well, thank you. Even though you're wearing a Cincinnati Reds hat. Um, the best <laughs> right here. The best. Oh, I'll forget it. Can you real quick just. It, the the new casting it's it, it's not Kirk Cameron is it is he oh, we were wondering if I I couldn't I couldn't not uh, he's gonna play no it's he's Kevin, gonna play Judas it's, it's Kevin Sorbonne sorry perfect <laughs> it's perfect it's even no um, it's even by better. the way I just noticed I, I think uh, I think we're twinsies right yep. Zach and I are both wearing yes we are our <laughs> zip up hoodies so uh, it's very comfortable they, I swear. Our, our gear, if you go to the, I'll just quick plug before I go here. Yeah. The, yes. yes. Thechosenmerch.com, www.thechosenmerch.com. You will, I'm glad you just said that because we made it a point that the, that the gear is going to be legitimately wearable. And this, I, awesome. I wear my sweatshirts and hoodies and shirts constantly. It's the most comfortable stuff I've ever owned. And it's, uh, it's got good 
cool conversation starting things on it. So it's not just to kind of, I mean, it does support the show and, but it's not just to promote the show. It really, we really wanted to start conversations, but also for it to just be, I feel like the, the, the hoodies feel like a, a cloud of love when I put them on. Mm. Mm. <laughs> we'll drop a, we'll drop a link in the show notes for sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this very, very special episode of Godfellas. Make sure you head over to our social media, The Real Boys, that's the R-E-E-L boys, and check out our other shows like Is It Really and Fantasmic. Um, We've got a lot of exciting things going on, and so does Dallas, so make sure that you go check out The Chosen. You like all their stuff. Give some money if you can. Buy some of their merch. But um, again, Dallas, thank you so much for giving us uh, your time. And until next time, we've been the Godfellas. We'll see you then. I'm Mr. Zach. I'm Mr. Mitch. I'm Mr. Brandon. Line. No, no, I'm Mr. Dallas. (laughs) 